Upstage. I'm Jessie. And I'm Michelle. And today we are going to be talking about motivation, which has been a really difficult resource to gather these days. Oh, yeah. Quarantine brain is strong. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely just, <laughs> I don't know. It, at some point, everything is so uncertain. Mm-hmm. It can be very difficult to like plan. Like, why practice if I literally can't perform right now? Or, you know, when will I be able to perform? What do I do during this time? You know, and also all of our previous routines have been destroyed. We've had to just readapt to a very different world to what it was pre-corona. Yeah, no, absolutely. For a lot of us, like our homes have now become rehearsal spaces and they've become our workplaces and they're also where we eat and sleep. And when everything is confined to like one or two locations, it can also just be very difficult to adapt. 100%. Yeah, not having like a usual structure is really putting my last two brain cells into hyperdrive. (laughs) Well, and it feels like every week I've had to adapt to something. There's always another thing that's got to be taken care of. And so I'm just a little more scattered than normal. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, aside from just the obvious current standing of everything, I think building motivation and knowing how to regain motivation and inspire motivation because this is something that happens to you regardless of whether or not you're in quarantine is just a very important skill. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into some some advice. Oh, yeah, because even when you're and I would say, actually, especially when you're in school, there can be really difficult moments where you kind of hit a roadblock in terms of feeling motivated. And that can be for, you know, a dozen different reasons. But it's good to learn how to adapt to that and how to return to like a motivated state, even when you're not really feeling it. But before we get into that, I have two quick announcements. Number one, we have our first YouTube video premiering this week, which is very exciting. Woohoo! We'd also love it if you would go on Apple Podcasts and review us. It helps people find our podcast. It tells us how you feel about us. It's super helpful. We love it. Yeah, honestly, it motivates us. (laughs) Like, we're going to talk about motivation today. Your reviews, we read all of them. Jesse and I cry over them. We were so excited that you guys have literally any interest in what we do so you know leaving us a review really means a lot to us and we we love you for everybody who has done it and we thank you now back to motivation the first and most obvious thing you can do is create better habits for yourself and michelle and i talked about this just a little bit but the thing about habit is that when something's a habit it doesn't even necessarily take motivation for you to do it there are things in our lives where outside of the odd circumstance, we don't really think of them as something you have to be motivated to do. For example, brushing your teeth. Like, that's not something you necessarily consider as taking a ton of effort, you know, uh, getting dressed in the morning. You know, like I said, there are tons of things that we do in our day that we don't consider as things you need to be motivated to do outside of maybe depression. Mm -hmm. So the power of this is that when you put things that aren't as absolutely necessary into your routine by habit, you don't actually have to muster up as much energy as you do when they're not a part of your everyday routine. So some of the stuff I'm going to talk about is actually from a book called The Power of Habit by Charles, I'm going to butcher this name, but Duhigg is what his last name looks like. It's a great book. I read it a long time ago and I still keep it around because I think it's very useful, but it's good for understanding how our brains adapt to habits and what is a useful way to to build better habits so it's a great book to read and it's a great book to have but the first and most important thing is when you're changing your routine and you're trying to build new habits start small don't try to read a new book every week practice eight hours a day run like don't overhaul your entire routine at once 
that's just uh, destined for failure because it's just too much. So look for for little things to start changing. Oh, yeah. This is why it's kind of useless to make broad goals for yourself at the beginning of a new year, right? Those like New Year's resolutions are often not successful or those goals that you have are often not met because you decide to completely change everything about your life. And that's not the kind of change that we're looking to make. We're looking to make things that take baby steps and turn into long-term good habits that are ingrained in you over time. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's an interesting fact, but the part of you that thinks about the future. So when I think about going to the grocery store later today, for example, when I think about that, the part of your brain that lights up is actually not the same one that happens when you think about yourself in this moment right now. The version of you you see in the future is your brain interprets it as a separate person which is why sometimes it's very difficult for us to actually accomplish things. It's much better to think in present terms. So for example, if you were back in January, 2020, instead of thinking of your year long plans, it would be more useful for you to think about in the month of January, what do I wanna do to work towards some of these goals I might have for the year? It's very important to keep things present. Definitely. That's just an interesting fact. I think it's fascinating that when we think of ourselves in the future, we're actually the same part of your brain lights up that is thinking about a stranger. Yeah. Your brain doesn't know you in the future. (laughs) But habit. There are three main parts to habits, which is a cue, a routine, and a reward. And that is essentially what a a habit structure is. Now, for example, not all habits are good. So take a bad example. For me, I have wasted just an unforgivable amount of time watching YouTube videos. And so how that habit would look if you put it in the structure is the cue is boredom. The routine is opening YouTube to watch a video and the reward is that video, watching the video and having a distraction for some amount of time. And that's a very simplified idea, but I just wanted to give you an idea of like what what it means. Hmm. But to break this down part by part, you've got a cue, which is a signal to start. And for our purposes, that signal is probably for musicians going to be a time, a place or something that happens right up to it. For example, your practice routine might be going to the music building at two in the afternoon, you know, there's something that you do to cue that you are about to practice or perform. Mm -hmm. And time and place are going to probably be, like I said, the most useful for us. And like I said, when I said stress, that's not, that's kind of an involuntary cue. But the idea here is that you would choose something that gets your brain into the place where you are ready to start practicing, doing the work you need to do, whatever it may be. And that can be really useful to us. For example, some good things that you can do are like time, place, or preceding action. And they should be specific. For example, when I was in school, I would go to the music building at a particular time that I always knew I would have. And I I would just practice for maybe like 20 minutes when I had that moment. But getting into that habit was very helpful to me. And it was essentially built around going to a specific place at a specific time. It's important that whatever you choose as a cue, whether it be you know, going to the library or going to the music building or even something that you do, like you might read about music for 20 minutes before you start a practice session or whatever it is. It should be something specific and not so general. It's an important thing because without a cue, you never really get into the second part of this, which is routine, which is whatever you do afterwards. So for example, I go to the music building and then I do an hour of practice or whatever it is. The important thing about routine is that you don't go in with no plan. (laughs) Right. I think most of us have a a set structure for how we practice, for how we do our work. 
when you're building habits, everything has to be pr pretty specific. Otherwise, it's hard for it to become habitual. And it may be even things you don't think about that you do. Because I would say, with the exception of Michelle, most of us warm up before we practice. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> Called out. I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm mostly joking about that, but whatever it is, whatever way you like to structure your practice session, write it down and make it specific. And also for whatever it is that day, like kind of have your plan written out it, just as a general idea. Like I'm going to work on pronunciation, rhythm, or this and that for whatever I have coming up. It just keeps you from messing around. Definitely. And it helps you stay focused. And once again, even if you're doing research for music, this is a good way of going about it, which is just like have a plan so you don't just dawdle. And then the last part of this is the reward structure. And something that I thought I was thinking about when I was writing out this list was I think Madison back in our practice room episode, our practice episode, gave some really good advice, which is that she always does something fun musically to end her practice sessions. And I thought that was smart because I'm actually the opposite. Some, a lot of times I'll start my, my practice session with something fun, which only makes it worse when I actually have to do a bunch of stuff that I don't want to sing, that I don't really want to think about that I haven't worked on. Oh, yeah. So I think it's actually much smarter to like take something you really love to sing or some section that you just enjoy and just save it for the end because it leaves you with a positive feeling. Definitely. The other option is like coffee or snacks. You know, there was a coffee house right around the corner from our music building. And so there's the nice thing of just like getting to go at the end of your practice session and get like a coffee or a tea and, you know, just something small, something that hits the reward center of your brain because people underestimate the power of that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the interesting examples in the actual book is that Febreze used to be entirely scentless and nobody was interested in it. It wouldn't actually add a pleasant scent. It would just neutralize bad scents. And people weren't interested in, in it until there was also kind of that perfume on top of it. What? Because that's what actually triggered people's reward center. It wasn't neutralizing. It was the actual thing of like replaced with something pleasant. That's wild. I did not know that. Yeah. It's the same thing with toothpaste. Toothpaste didn't used to foam or be quite as tingly as it is now. But that was created because it made things feel more clean. It's the same reason your shampoo lathers. Wild. <laughs> all of those things make us feel like they're more effective. And so it's really important that whatever you do during that practice session, no matter how bad you feel about it, that you do something pleasant at the end of it to take you out of it, like to, to bring you up and make you feel good about having practiced. It's super important because that's what actually creates habit is a strong cue, a routine, and a reward. There's also something you should pay attention to within practice sessions. I was thinking about like, what made my practice session bad? What can I account on for like bad practice sessions that would ruin motivation? And probably my number one thing is having my phone on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Nothing is more distracting than your phone when you're trying to focus on literally anything. I mean, but if you want to talk about a bad habit, like a bad cue for a bad habit, phone notification on my phone for like 20 minutes. Absolutely. You know, or going in without a plan for my routine, you know, and just messing around because then I just end up sitting around there because when you do stuff like that, when you don't have a set routine, what happens is, you know, we all hang out in the music building, maybe more than we should. <laughs> and it stops being a place to work. Right. And I'm not saying you have to be on 24 seven, but like maybe try to keep your socializing less in practice rooms and more in social spaces. In the same way that you, they tell you you shouldn't do your homework on your bed. It, there is an importance to creating spaces to work. 
100%. Yeah, your brain definitely needs that distinction to stay focused and on task. Yeah, and I would say the other part about habit, and because I'm a person who thrives on strict routine, which is hilarious because I have almost no strict routine in my life. (laughs) But I'm a person who, because of my ADHD, I benefit greatly from structure. The other big thing that you have to be ready for is plan for problems. For example, when it comes to music, always plan to have something memorized or ready earlier than expected because you probably will have delays. Yep. We were required in undergrad to do this, but to anyone preparing recitals in the next year, be prepared to sing your full recital a full month before it happens. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing you can do. And if you actually are fully memorized a full month before, great. And if you're not, you'll be a lot closer because you planned on it. Absolutely. There are always so many last minute things that you need to learn for a concert or somebody asks you to sing at something or play at something or you literally like your work schedule is flipped around or you have an exam you weren't planning on. Like anything could happen. So definitely being ahead of the curve is always a good place to be. Yeah. And then plan on what you'll do if you get sick or if your voice gets too tired. Like What will you work on? Will you work on pronunciation? Will you spend some time just tapping the rhythm? Like, be prepared for what you will do on the days you can't work. Never plan that you're going to be able to sing every single day. It's just things happen, life happens, emergencies happen. Just know what you'll do. And then the other thing is, like, what will you do if you don't have a place to warm up, if your pianist cancels on you for your practice session that week? Like, just be prepared for bad things because those are the things that throw us out of habit, out of routine. And to some degree, having a plan for what you will do when inevitably something goes wrong will help you not just break all your habits. It won't break your routine as a whole. But I bring up, like I said, I brought up habit because that is almost a little bit more important than just motivation. You're going to need motivation to build those habits. But once you have them in place, it will make things much smoother because you won't actually have to use so much motivation to do them. Yeah, this is something that you see with a lot of people like athletes or people who are really into fitness and health. They build these habits so that even if you don't want to work out on a day, it's so ingrained in you to follow through that you do regardless of whether or not you want to and those are kind of the habits that are really helpful just to build in life but also as musicians where we constantly have to be working on different projects and you know not having that motivation to continue through proves to be very difficult oh yeah and I think this is also a great time to experiment with things that help you like one of the things I didn't expect to really be helpful to me during quarantine has been getting dressed like I'm going out and putting on makeup. For anyone who knows me in real life, I very rarely wear makeup in my day-to-day. But something about, even in quarantine, getting ready as if I'm going to see people very much helps me set up my day to be like, oh, I'm actually going to do stuff. My brain just clicks into a different headspace. And I never would have known that, really. So now is the time to experiment and play with things as far as cues, routines, and rewards, and just see what's going to work best for you. Absolutely. But it's also important to talk about what to do when you don't have those habits in place because it still takes motivation to get into the place where you can work on habits and work on replacing bad habits with good ones. It still takes energy to do that. And I think the number one things you can do are inspiration, your social circle, and goal setting. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this in our episode about burnout. We talked a little bit about things you can have to inspire you to practice to be a musician and I would say like the number one thing is like a playlist or performances that inspire you 
I know I have one on YouTube. Michelle? Oh, yeah. 100%. They're like, honestly, this is one of the biggest things for me when I don't feel like practicing music or I'm in quarantine and I know it's going to be a while until I'm singing music in front of people that I'm really excited about. Watching those operas, you know, joining our watch parties that we do helps me so much with motivation because it gets me excited and it reminds me why I'm doing this because you watch these performers you watch these things that you really enjoy or you listen to soundtracks and it really just does put you in that right mental state to want to practice to want to do your work to want to look for opportunities to want to prepare yourself for the future when you do have these things in your season so yeah I man watching a good performance truly just puts me into overdrive I'm like immediately going to the piano afterwards oh yeah I mean it's so important to find like artists who inspire you just to watch what they do you know yeah and I think on the other side like very similar to that is having a dream role list I don't know why but like even if you can't sing some of that stuff now there's something about it that like thinking about how much you want to do it in the future keeps you going there are tons of roles for me where well it's like 10 years from the time I'll ever be able to play that but I just love those so much. Well, yeah, those are an inherent goal in and of themselves, right? If you have a dream role or a dream recital that you want to put in or just anything, you're in your mind thinking of it as a long-term goal, which automatically kind of already motivates you to push through, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think also staying active on what's happening in like the opera community can be really helpful. And I I know it sounds bad, but I get really jealous when I see people doing really cool things. And I'm like, I want to do that. How do I get there? How do I get to there? Yeah. You know, whether it be kind of an avant-garde performance or just performing in really amazing spaces or putting on a new show. Like there are things I see that are happening that remind me how exciting it is to be in classical music that take me out of that weird space where sometimes, you know, we look at and we're like, am I ever going to break into this thing? And you just look at all the cool small theaters doing all these, you know, shows, these new shows or workshops, you know, and it just, it gets me excited. Yeah, and I think that's a very important thing to note because we get stuck in this idea that we have to, you know, finish grad school and then do the whole yap game and do the competitions and X, Y, and Z when, and being stuck in that cycle can be detrimental to your motivation because you're, exactly in that right a cycle and it kind of starts to feel more mundane and practicing gets harder but when you do look out and see all of the people who are paving their own way and who are really pushing the boundaries of classical music and are doing really interesting projects it also opens your eyes to the other projects that you can take on you know and that in and of itself is it's inspiring because maybe if you're currently not motivated to do what you're doing you can find new opportunities and get involved with other things that will bring that motivation and excitement back. This one might be, it's not controversial, but a little outside the bounds of what we've been talking about. But I also have a non-opera playlist. I was just telling Michelle about this because I was using it for my work this week. But I have like an early 2000s punk rock playlist (laughs) that I use all the time. You know, but sometimes you need a little bit of a break from even classical music. And I think having having just something that pumps you up. I don't care if it's a TV show or, you know, (laughs) 2000s punk rock or whatever, but just have something that, you know, without a doubt, like gets you excited. 
It could be dancing. It could be anything. But I think it's also good to have something that allows you to step away from music and just get excited on your own. That's what it is for me. But whatever it is, allow yourself to have those things that you just are unabashedly excited about. Yeah. I think this is very important for me. And I think this applies to the majority of people, but I need to be involved in a lot of different things. (laughs) And so I find that when I am... And I don't know, this might sound like odd, but when I'm only doing music, I find myself being less motivated because that's the only thing I'm doing. And I get a little bit tired faster. Whereas if I'm doing a lot of music, but I'm also kind of entertaining myself on the side with all these other side projects that maybe are indirectly related to music or just completely not related to music, I find that to be really helpful because I'm being stimulated in all of these different ways and exercising my brain in all of these different ways and creating in all of these different ways. And that ultimately motivates me to bring some of that into music, but also I think kind of just builds my motivation as an entire person and not as just a musician. We kind of talked about this in our self-advocacy episode as well, but you are multifaceted. And sometimes if you're lacking motivation in music, kind of regaining it in other areas of your life will help. Yeah, I think seeing people be passionate about anything can inspire you. And I love just good art. Like a good movie can throw me into a, a need to create things again. A cool piece of art can make me feel that way. Anything. I follow a couple people who do funny, silly, weird programming projects on Twitter. And their work is so cool to me. I think you have to look for those things that bring you joy and that inspire you to do the best you can do in your field. And they don't have to all be music because I think it is, you know, sometimes in music we get stuck in that comparison loop and everything. I think it's super important for you to find people who inspire you outside of just that. You know, sports, arts, tech, whatever. But find find a couple things outside of music that also fill you. Yeah, one thing that I just realized that is music related, but also in its own kind of competitive way sparks motivation is watching masterclasses. I find that when I watch masterclasses on maybe a song that I'm planning on singing or want to sing, or maybe it's, you know, I'm watching somebody sing something that I definitely will never sing. It's very motivating to hear a teacher talk about different points and different things and interpretation. And I think there can be a little bit of a competitive like, oh, wow, they did that masterclass, well, I want to do that. Or I think I could make that change in my own voice. I want to go try it. And so I sometimes find watching those types of videos and, you know, now because of quarantine, so many of these famous musicians are offering these types of things. So it's more accessible than ever. But, you know, watching a masterclass by somebody that you are really interested in is very motivating, at least for me. Yeah. Well, I think in general, the, the important thing to take away from this is that inspiration can be created. Obviously, there is spontaneous inspiration, but a lot of it can be manufactured. You can create a setting in which you are motivated from being inspired by what other people do by just creating, whether in your social media or otherwise, an environment filled with people creating cool things. Absolutely. And doing cool things. <laughs> I think this one is super important and very hard. And we talked a little bit about this once again in self-advocacy. But when you look at your social circle, you should have people who are as Im- ambitious and dedicated as you are. And not everyone in your friendship group has to be that way. But in general, you want to surround yourself with people who are positive and who are trying to do things. Only because 
what you're going to find when you hang out with people who are not like that is that they're going to either get annoyed with you or you're going to get annoyed with them. Because <laughs> they're going to wonder why you can't hang out every night or why you aren't going out to party before an audition or... And you're just going to run into those problems. And that's not to say, once again, that they, you can't be friends with those people. But like, as far as your close social circle, you're going to want people who hold their work to a similar value that you hold yours. Absolutely. Your inner circle should have a similar work ethic to you and a level of seriousness about their work. Because this is 100% true. If you have somebody who just doesn't care about their work, that's potentially going to create bad habits in you, right? You want somebody who is very dedicated and inspires you and motivates you and pushes you to stay on top of what you have to do. And of course, if you have somebody who is negative in your inner circle, even if they are a good worker, you need to consider how much of that is is healthy for your well-being because if you're already kind of struggling with motivation, it's hard to stay motivated when you have somebody nagging on you. So this is super important. I think the other thing is like people who just talk negative about other people all the time. Yeah. Like it's fine. It's fine to critique sometimes. But when people get too personal about it or like people pile on or, you know, everyone's had a friend before who is just always negative, always critical. They've never said anything good about a performance. Drop them. Yeah. For me, like it just absolutely fuels my neuroses. Like I just immediately assume that they're also saying that stuff behind my back you want to find your hype team right you want to find the people who when you're not motivated you know you can steal a little motivation from them they're there to get you back on track they're there to hype you up and kind of clear your head on maybe some of the reasons you're not motivated and get you excited about what you're doing so surrounding yourself with those people are best case scenario we all need our hype team yeah. And it doesn't mean you never critique anything. I've told Michelle what I think she's overwhelming herself. And I've told Michelle, you know, I've given Michelle feedback on performances before and Michelle's done the same for me or told me when I'm slacking. It's just that that's never. First of all, we always ask if the other person actually wants to hear it. <laughs> but also, like, it's not the only thing we do. We also hype each other up. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are going to be the kind of people. Jesse, what did you tell me the other day when I was working like way too much? Oh, I said, I think you do wonderful work, but I wish you would do less of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. These are the things that Jesse tells me. Because what happened was Michelle had spent hours and hours on multiple things that just didn't need to get done. And she basically created full versions of things that if she wanted to pass them to me, kind of just needed to be rough drafts. But she'd gone ahead and just like fully fleshed them out, knowing that we p wouldn't possibly use both. Hello. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> yeah. And that but that that's exactly like even the way I phrase it says how much I appreciate you and the work you do. I said, I love your work. I just think you should do less of it because I know Michelle is a little overworked at the moment so that once again that is the sign of our friendship there's a lot of trust there but she also you know she knows i'm not i'm not bashing michelle for working hard i'm not saying michelle you're such a try hard like that's what <laughs> how stupid yeah so there are people like that though there are people who are like why do you work so hard <gasps> those are the worst people i don't like those people i don't want those people near me don't question why i work hard because usually like there's some nastiness in in that type of attitude yeah which obviously like the way that you handled it was 100% correct because me who's someone who does work too much or perhaps too long at things that could easily be done quicker that type of response 
love your work, but don't kill yourself. Don't work so hard is like what I needed to hear. Yeah. Well, so. that's the thing. I don't, you know, it's it's the putting down the idea of hard work, the idea that like working hard is lame. Yeah. You know, that also goes both ways. Also, don't stand for people who talk bad about you when you take a break. Yeah. You deserve both. You deserve to work hard and you also deserve to take a breath when you need to. So, like I said, you'll recognize these negative people. You'll start to get a better idea of who they are. But being super negative all the time, whether it be about you being too relaxed or you working too hard, it's not going to help you. And the other thing I would say is seek out people who are better at what you do than you are. It's really hard for me because I, not so much anymore, but I used to be a really jealous person. And so I used, I also used to be very scared of people who were better at things than I was. So I wouldn't really talk to them. Seek them out. Seek out their advice. Seek out their mentorship. Yeah. Like actively seek to make your social circle one that also inspires you. Just have those people, you know, even so, the kinds of people that we mentioned in our last episode. There's a lot of references to other episodes this time. But having those people who are a little ahead of you in your field and having them as friends can be just so nice and so helpful and so inspirational because it just tells you like that there is a path forward. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a great feeling to have friends that you're inspired by. If that's not already the case, then you can build that to be the case. But yeah, having friends that motivate you, who inspire you, it's just overall really great for your motivation and mental health in general. Yeah. And then I think one of the more obvious ones, but also one that does bear breaking down is goal setting. Like, how do we set goals in a way that it's not like our New Year's resolutions, as you said earlier, that we just set them and forget them? Yeah. <laughs> and that can be really difficult because it's easy to say, like, oh, I'm going to learn this piece by the end of the week without understanding what that entails. Mm-hmm. So I think, number one, the most useful tool for goal setting, which I think everyone knows, is lists. Lists can be super, super helpful for a lot of reasons. Number one, lists are great for triggering the reward center of your brain. Crossing something off of a list makes us feel good. Oh my gosh. Making lists. <laughs> Michelle's about to talk about her cocaine. I was literally about to say lists are like crack to me. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Nothing gets me more hype than crossing something off of a list. It really does feel like a high to me. It's just chef's kiss. Writing something down, I hold a lot of commitment when I write something down because it's there, it's an ink, can't get rid of it. And so I, I really do feel that making lists are great because not only do they keep you organized, you can break down your larger goals. So once again, not going with a New Year's resolution. If you're going to have a big goal, like I want to learn this dream role for fun because quarantine, you need to continue to make that list on the actual actionable steps that you can do to accomplish that. But lists are just such a great way to put out kind of what you're looking to do and make it a reality. And here are my main two tips for making effective lists. A lot of it is just breaking down your larger tasks. So, for example, if you're going to learn that new song, you might just go ahead and say, like, I'll do notes this day, rhythms this day. I'll, you know, I'll just do the diction this day. Like, you'll break it down however works for you. Mm -hmm. But don't micromanage your lists. Don't make those steps too small because at that point you're just trying to make yourself feel good. Yeah, very true. Like don't 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 get too nitty gritty with your list because otherwise it's just weird. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to actually help you get things done. It's just to make yourself feel good. And the other thing I'd say is prioritize your lists. So when I make big lists for like my day, 
I'll have the must do, should do, and can wait. And that just helps me know that even though this item might be easier to do, it's not as important as these other things. It helps me just actually see what has to get done and what can be pushed off to the next day. And that's very useful to me because that's a way of planning around unexpected things. Like if somebody needs your help or you just get distracted. That way you get what has to get done that day done. Absolutely. Don't overload your list. That's the last thing. <laughs> Go ahead, Michelle. No, no, that's that's a really great categorizing and prioritizing are very important. Something that I learned from my old roommate, Emily. Love you. She has a way of breaking it down into four categories, which is very similar of important and urgent, important, but not urgent, unimportant, but urgent, and then unimportant, not urgent. (laughs) Which like sounds weird when you say it, but when you look at it and write it down, And you break things up into, okay, this is really important, but I don't have to do it right now. It's not urgent. I can do this in two weeks. It's very different from not important and not urgent of, oh, you know, at some point I'd like to do this, but I can definitely put this on the back burner. And keeping those kind of things that you're working on in that kind of framework, I found is really important because I sometimes have a hard time prioritizing because I tend to put (laughs) equal importance on a lot of things. So thinking about what do I have to do right now and then the order of importance is really helpful when making lists. Yeah. It just keeps me from wandering off. You know, I'm I'm one of those people when I used to procrastinate homework, I used to like clean my room. Like that's the thing. Like even though I would normally just ignore the mess, I I would be like, oh, you know, I should start my paper, but I guess I could also clean the house. Why is that so real? I do the same thing. Why is it always cleaning? I guess I could cook a four-course meal. <laughs> it's it's very much cleaning. It, and it, like I said, 90% of the time, I don't even see mess because my brain is just wired poorly. And so I can walk around mess and not realize it's there. But the minute I have something else to do, I'm like, oh, but what if I clean the whole house and reorganize my bookshelf for the hundredth time? Yeah, that's so real. <laughs> Yeah, that's why prioritizing is so much better because then you can say, oh, I want to clean this up, but I'll do it after I submit the, you know, paper that I need to send off. Yeah, and maybe you have your brain kind of register that as the reward, you know. Mm -hmm. The next big thing is performances. Try to find opportunities to perform. I realize that's a little tricky right now, but it's what we love to do. It's what most of us aim to do most of the time. Having some kind of performance, even if it's, you know, singing for just your friends on zoom with a track it doesn't matter what it is find an outlet for performance because that is just always going to be the number one motivator it is external motivation it's not putting it intrinsic but putting something in front of us makes us feel good it makes us feel like we have to and even then performing itself is such an endorphin rush And depending on how you do it, it also gives you people who will hold you accountable because either they're watching you or they're collaborating with you. Yeah. No, this is really important. And this is actually something that I've seen kind of emerge that I don't like recently and that a lot of people are creating content on Zoom, on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube, yada, yada. And I feel like there's kind of this weird sentiment where it's like, ugh, really, you're doing your at-home recital? And I'm just really going to encourage you that if you're saying those things to stop because we're here to perform. And if somebody wants to do a at-home recital, you should support them because they're doing something. 
And I think it's so important, like now with social media, it doesn't matter if you're putting, if you're singing with a track and just singing whatever, a Disney song, a musical theater song, a new aria. It doesn't matter. At least you're doing something that's motivating and you're allowing your audience and your friends and your family to look forward to something. So performing is so important and it's really nice that we have technology to make it so easy. And, you know, Mike McAndrew doing his art song at home project is wonderful. I mean, go reach out to Mike if you're looking to do something. You know what I mean? Like, that's a wonderful way to spend your time. And you can put some of these good habits that you're building to practice. But please don't tear down artists who are trying their best to create performance opportunities. Like, we're all just trying to have a good time, you know? (laughs) We would all love to be doing things and seeing things live. But that's just not what we can do right now. And so we need to pump each other up and we need to be supportive. Because the other really wonderful thing that's going to come out of this is we're going to get better at making online content. And, you know, I know people have mixed feelings about opera as film and opera online and opera, you know, anywhere but a stage. But it's also time for us to adapt a little bit to the world as it is, because there's also a beauty of the shareability of things that are online. So there's also just this incredible opportunity for us to connect like never before. And we should uplift that. Yeah. And I mean, think about the accessibility right? So many of us are interested in making opera more accessible and affordable for more people. And doing stuff online does that, like instantly, you know? So I think it's definitely something to embrace and get excited about. And, you know, leaving a nice comment on a friend's video who's doing whatever it is that they're putting out there is always really nice. And, you know, it's all part of being a good colleague. Yeah. So make sure that you're finding outlets for performance, because I think Like I said, I think there's just nothing that motivates like performing, like having a performance coming up and make sure, like Michelle said, that you are uplifting each other when it comes to how we adapt to that in this time, because don't you want to perform is really my question. And the more we create a positive sentiment about how we do online performances, the better things are going to get. Absolutely. And then my final thing for goal setting is we kind of discussed this at the beginning, but have long-term goals, but short-term steps. So it's great that in any given year, you might have, you know, the goal to compete in a big competition, or, you know, you might have a particular yap that you'd really like to nail, even if you just want to nail the audition. But those things are also things that are frequently out of our hands, getting a role, getting a yap. Those things aren't always within our reach. So it's important to also really think out what it means in the short term to do that. Like if you have a recital, it's important to think, well, if I want to give a recital, I need to get the music. I need to, you know, learn the text or learn a new language for it or whatever it is. It's important that you think about what those smaller pictures are, because I think having a big stretch goal during your year is great. But I think the mistake we all make is we end up getting to the time where that goal would be happening and we didn't do the pre-work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big goals are awesome. I like spending a lot of time daydreaming about the big goals that I want to accomplish because that in and of itself to me is already very motivating. Just a tip that kind of really changed the way I think about big term goals. I had some pretty lofty goals for myself for 2020 that I'm really excited about, but I took some time at the beginning of this year, you know, before this year ended up being horrible. (laughs) But I broke it down into categories. So I have goals for just life in general, my health, my faith, music, and social media. And I wanted to avoid 
the idea of having these lofty goals that I didn't know how to work out. So in my planner, every single week, it rotates on which category I'm focusing on. So one week I'll have life goals, the next week I'll have health goals. And then thinking about those smaller goals to accomplish in the week that are actually attainable, like exercise two to three times a week, join a Bible study, get X amount of projects done. Thinking about that week by week has made it way more attainable and I'm making a lot more progress on these goals than I would if I just had them all kind of sort of up in the cloud, so to speak, you know, so really break it down. But those big stretch goals for the year are really important and hopefully through planning and through lists and good habits, you'll be able to achieve them. Yeah, there is a quote, and this quote has been attributed to everyone under the sun, so I, I, I'm i not going to attribute it to anyone. But there's a quote that says, people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a year. I think that's the reality of it is we have to consider more what we do daily instead of trying to cram everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think the summary of this episode is really this. Motivation is largely the environment internally and externally that we create for ourselves. The internal environment is that inspiration and that habit building that we were talking about earlier. Those are the things that get us motivated and keep us going. Outside of that, we have these external motivators, this environment outside of ourselves, which is also something we have a bit of control over. It's who we surround ourselves with and the goals that we put in front of us. Like those are external things that can motivate us greatly. And the big takeaway is that in a world where we have very little control, we actually do have some control over these things of creating and perpetuating motivation. So I encourage you to look at all these steps we've kind of laid out and assess what works for you and what doesn't. And to really, during this time, take it and experiment. Because what, what'll work for you will be different from what'll work for me. But I will say that these steps and examining these parts of my life has been greatly helpful in not only helping me reach my goals, but also helping me better understand how I am motivated. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you can accomplish. And like we've said, you're multifaceted. So sometimes you just got to kind of mix it up, you know? And if you're lacking motivation, taking the time to reflect on maybe why, I would definitely take a listen to our episode on dealing with burnout. Sometimes that's a lack of motivation, but there's something deeper there. But quarantine is hard. 2020 has been hard. So don't forget to be kind to yourself and just try to find the things that you love to do and it will get better. The motivation will come back. We're not staying in this time forever. No. You got this. It's going to be good. Yeah. I, I think Michelle is right. I think don't forget to give yourself a break. And think of this idea about motivation as less of like, don't beat yourself up over it. The whole point of this is to make yourself feel better. <laughs> so and if true. something doesn't feel good, if it doesn't feel like it's helping you, get rid of it. Like, that's the whole thing. So be kind to yourself. Absolutely. And on that note, reach out to us. Let us know what you find that motivates you. If you have any good tips, our DMs are open. We love talking to you guys and hearing the great advice that you have to share as well. So let's all get motivated. It's going to be a good time. If you guys aren't already following us on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Opera Offstage. And of course, our website is opera-offstage.com. We look forward to chatting with you guys next week and have a great day. Bye.